0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Before we begin, I just want to remind you of uh, 30 days of prayer. We're we're, we're winding down on that for this particular 30 days. We're going to do something new after that, so you'll be thinking about that and in prayer for that. But I want to remind you two of our Guatemalan team. We have uh, some little, um, I guess, sheets of paper down here on the front row. that are stapled. Spring Break Guatemala team, March 28th through April the 4th. It's a list of all the people. We've got, I think, 64 people, 63 people going to Guatemala. That's a lot of people. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. We've got, I don't know, between you two guys, how many students, anybody know how many under the age 18, 15 maybe? 17 students that, now that's, those are 17 students that are giving up their spring break that's a big deal they're going to Guatemala to share the gospel of Jesus Christ what an, ex, what an exciting time we're living in right we can get on an airplane and go into the darkness and share Christ but these people are going I want you before you leave today to pick up one of these things we print out enough I think for everybody to get one if not we'll print more but I want you to do two things with it first thing I want you to do is pray about it Okay? we have an incredible opportunity to reach people for Christ the second thing I want you to do is if, if you can find the time is to write cards to some of these people. You, you say, I don't know if I can write 63 cards. Then just write 10. But it's an incredible joy, having spoken, speaking from experience, having been on the mission field, to get up on the morning where maybe you're a little down and the enemy's kind of beating you up a little bit and to, to sit down for breakfast and there's a stack of cards of people that have prayed for you. That's powerful. I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. If you, fi- if you can, if you can find the time, write those cards. Put them in the little mailbox out here by our missions. We also have a team leaving for Asia in about a week and a half, uh, February the 13th. You can write cards for those. There are only four of us going, so those are a lot fewer cards, but I would encourage you to do that as well, okay? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump right in this morning. Father, thank you for your power. You are absolutely the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we, we tremble in your presence. We tremble at the sight of your majesty and your holiness. So, Father, I would pray this morning that as we examine your scripture and examine the account of creation and examine creation itself, Father, we would just we would tremble and be in awe at your power, that it would lead us to worship, <laughs> that it would lead us to sense your glory in ways we haven't seen before. Lord, you speak to us this morning. You convey truth to our hearts. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do, and may the teaching this morning lead us to be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is week 4 in our sermon series we've entitled, In the Beginning. It's a study through the book of Genesis. And I want to recap just briefly this morning before we jump in and kind of look at what we want to think about for the next little while. The interesting thing to me, and if you've not been with us, I would encourage you maybe to go back and listen to some of these podcasts for the last few weeks. The the thing that's just kind of fascinated me, and I knew this to be the case, but as I studied through it, it became more and more clear. As you read through and study through the account of Genesis, there is absolute design in that text. You just see it. There's order and there's creation and we see the power of God. And so we've seen, if we kind of think about it from a, a, a big picture perspective first, we've seen the idea of the week itself with order. We see the first three days the Lord is forming the earth. Remember the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 that the earth was formless and empty. You Remember that passage of Scripture? There wasn't anything here yet and the Bible says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And so for the first three days God is going to form the earth. He's going to prepare the earth to sustain life. Days 4, 5, and 6, we see that the Lord is now going to fill the earth. And so there's, there's this idea of order and design, even in the week itself. But let's narrow it down a little bit to the days. Each day we've seen very specific order. We see that God announces on each day, God said, and He commands, let there be, and then there's action, and it was so. We see this order in every day of the week. Then there's approval. God saw that it was good. Then he names it. God called it this. And then there's a day number, evening and morning, the first day or the second day. So we see not only order within the week itself, the created week, but we see order within each day. And then we narrowed it down a little more a couple of weeks ago to day four. And we saw it's on day four that God is going to fill now the heavens with the sun and the moon and the stars. And we've seen that not only is there order in the week, not only is there order within each day, but even day four within the creation itself brings us order. Right? you order your life by the sun, don't you? You order your weeks and your years and the hour of each day by the sun. So we see order in the week. We see order in the day. We see order in specific creation itself. And so I just have been amazed as we study through this. that We we see over and over again, far from random chance, our universe clearly shows design. So I want to think through that idea for a few minutes this morning. Now I want to go ahead and kind of warn you. (laughs) We're going to hit a lot of stuff this morning. We're going to talk through a lot of things. Amy tells me I talk fast as it is. I may talk a little faster this morning. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try to bring it down just a little bit because I want to get through all this, but I want you to hear it. There's so many incredible things, and I've got a lot of things on the screen I want you to show you. But I want you to kind of think about this week as kind of a continuation from last week. Last week, we took a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, day 5. And I'm going to read those again this morning. We're going to review that just briefly. And then we're going to jump off into another idea the rest of the morning. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning of verse 20. We have this on the screen for you. And God said, let the water... There it is again. There's always the announcement. The pattern within each day is fascinating to me. God said, let the water team with living creatures... And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now there is absolute uh, certainty in this verse that God created it, right? There's no doubt here according to the scripture. Verse 22. God blessed them and he said, Be fruitful. And increase in number and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Now here's the, the, the kind of the overall truth we looked at last week, and I'm going to bring up the screen for you. Life begins on day five. We see that. Now, of all the miraculous discoveries of science, of all the miraculous discoveries of medicine, no other being in the universe can create life outside of the Lord, right? Science has not come up with a way to create life. And they're trying. Medicine has not come up with a way to create life. Life is created very simply of the Lord. So we took a look last week at kind of biblical reasons to to reject this idea of natural selection, to reject this idea of evolution. I want to just very quickly give you those again before we go kind of to another place. I said last week there are two biblical reasons we should reject evolution. Number one, we should reject evolution because it removes God from the world. It's a very clear, very deliberate attempt to say that everything came about without the Lord. That's what secular evolution says. And as followers of Christ, we need to be very clear on this truth. Anytime there's a worldview that rejects the Lord, we should reject it. I think we need to be firm there. And I'll be very honest. I don't, I don't care at any point in the future what an expert tells me. If they tell me there's no God, I'm going to reject it. I'm going to refuse it. Now, that's the first thing we looked at last week. The second biblical reason we gave to reject evolution is because the Bible teaches that death didn't enter the world until sin, Right? The Bible teaches there was no death before Adam and Eve's sin. That's found in the book of Romans. I spent a good bit of time on that last week. If you want to hear more about it, you can listen to my podcast from last week. I don't have time to talk about it this morning, okay? But we see that we should reject evolution because there's a, a biblical principle, there's a theological principle here, that death didn't enter the world until sin came. Now, I want to take what we've talked about last week. We looked at some biblical reasons last week we, sh- we should reject the idea of naturalism and evolution. And I want to look this week at some scientific evidence that I believe very clearly points to design and to creation and to God's power. Now, here's what some of you are thinking I already believe that God created the earth. I already believe that God has power and demonstrated order. I don't believe in evolution. So you're kind of, you're you're preaching to the choir here, Adam. And I understand and appreciate that there are a lot of you that already believe this. But here's the truth that I know very well, and some of you are going to appreciate this. There are a lot of younger people and students, especially in this church, that may not be as clear as you are on this. Because, folks, you may or may not understand this, but they're being bombarded with it. I've had conversations with them. They live in a world that systematically tells them there is no God. And you are a fool if you think there is. That's what the world tells them. And so they come out of that environment into a Sunday morning service. And we're proclaiming the glory of the Lord. And we're talking about His power. And they have this hard time making the distinction here. The person I heard earlier in the week told me there was no God and now you're telling me I should worship the God and I don't really know how to make these things fit. And so I want to spend a few minutes if I could thinking through things in the world and in creation that point us to the created order. Now I want to challenge you to do something this morning. If you already are with me and we're all on the same page and you're not doubting any of this and you're already kind of in, in this camp that says God created and you don't believe in evolution, I want you to do something for me. I want you to pray for those that are struggling with this. Because if you're good, and that I'm happy, and that's wonderful, but you ought to be praying for those that aren't. Because there are students, and you know this to be true, every single day that walk into colleges and universities, and a secular atheist professor takes them away from their faith, and they spend the rest of their life trying to figure out how to get back, right? You, you've heard those. You know some of you are those stories. I've had the conversations. And so I've just, I've just, I really, honestly, just kind of being transparent struggle through this particular sermon because we're going to step away from scripture for a little while this morning. I've already made the case scripturally and I'm always going to stand on that foundation but I'm also aware as the under shepherd that sometimes we have to protect the flock and when our students are being picked off right and left by falsehood and by godless theology I think sometimes we need to stand up and protect them. And so we're going to think through truth this morning. Now I'm going to tell you students, I know some of you are interested in hearing this and you're going to take some notes. If you're, if you're really interested in hearing this, if this is important to you, an important thing that you've heard in school, or something you struggle with, I want you to take some notes and write some of the stuff down and spend some time going back through it because there's a lot I can't cover. I'm going to give you kind of the 30,000 foot view and then I'll, I'll, I'll make this plea and I'll, I'll make this option to any student or any person in this church. If you want to sit down with me and examine this stuff in some great detail, I'm happy to do that with you. I've got the notes. I'm serious. I want to do that. If you still have questions and don't understand, I'll talk to you. You just tell me when and where, okay? Because I want you to walk away this morning with this understanding. That, yeah, there there is a lot of evidence that God really did create this. That there is design. So I want to begin, first of all, By debunking what I believe are two lies. I think the world has sold us this false truth or these false truths that we hear on a regular basis over and over again. And we hear them so often we we think they're true. Here's lie number one. Students, I want you to hear me here. Lie number one is that evolution is universally accepted and that everybody believes it. That's the first lie. We've been sold this bill of goods that everybody believes. It's just just there and there's no doubt. And if you don't think it's true, you're foolish. That's lie number one. Lie number two is that science has proven evolution beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's also a lie. Now, I want to think through these two lies just for a few minutes this morning. I want to give you some actual truth and some facts that will make this case. Here's the first truth you need to understand. Students and anybody that struggles with this... Not everyone believes that evolution is real. You need to go ahead and just let that settle in. This idea that the whole world thinks is true and everybody believes and everybody's bought into it, and you're foolish and you're in this minority is simply not true. You say, Adam, how do you arrive at such a conclusion? I've, I've looked at the numbers. Gallup research. You can go to their website, gallup.com, and you can search this. Every year they ask the question about creation and evolution. They've been doing it for like 50 years. You can see the numbers. Here's the startling fact you're probably not aware of, students. You ready for this? The latest Gallup poll says that less than 20% of Americans actually believe in secular evolution. Did you know that? We're told that everybody believes it, right? It's just fagged and we've been sold this bill of goods that it's true and we need to buy it. Less than 20% of the people in America actually believe that secular evolution is true. Now that's the statistical fact. So let me kind of boil this down for you and make it real clear. You are in the majority if you believe God created the earth. You need to know that. Period. Statistically, you're in the majority. If you believe God did not create the earth, if you believe in secular evolution, you're in the great minority. Less than 20% actually buy that. And I think that's important for us to understand because especially as young people, it's easy to get sucked into this. I don't want to be different than everybody else, right? You remember those days? I don't want to be the odd man out. And when I'm portrayed as the odd man out, as if everybody believes it except me, I look like a fool. Not everybody believes it. Statistics show that. Now some of you are probably thinking, okay, so there's a lot of people in America that, that don't believe it. But these people are silly, they're untrained, right? They don't know what they're talking about. You would say something like this. Maybe the people of America don't believe it, but every scientist in the world does. I mean it's a, it's clear that science has proven it and that scientists believe it and, and everybody that knows anything about the idea of origins believes that evolution is real. Let me point you to a website. We've got it on the screen for you. You need to go to this website. Write it down, students, you need to go do this. This is this is research for you later. This is homework. You didn't think you were gonna come have homework did you? org. You, you need to read it you need to look at it here's what this website does there's a list on this website of about a thousand now it's about 22 or 23 pages long about a thousand recognized scientists that don't believe evolution we've got it go ahead and pull it up you, you, I didn't have time to show you every one of you can't read a lot of these you're just going to have to trust me But these are scientists that say, we don't think evolution is true. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. Well, I mean, these guys are probably at, like, Bible colleges or there's some little community college and they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't really been trained. Let me read you some of the colleges and universities that people come from. They've been trained in. They teach in. These are the first three pages. I didn't even get into page four. Here are the universities I found. Harvard. MIT, Cambridge, Johns Hopkins, Duke, Texas A&M, Columbia, University of Pennsylvania, Cambridge, Princeton, Georgia Tech, Cornell, Rutgers, on and on the list goes, right? These are, these are not lightweights. You need to understand that. You, you see all the different things on the left that say PhD? These, people that, th- these are people that have studied this. Well, One scientist said it like this. I want you to listen to his quote on this website. Darwinian evolutionary theory was my field of specialization in biology. That's what he says. Among other things, I wrote a textbook on the subject 30 years ago. But however, since then, he says, I've become an apostate from Darwinian theology and have described it as part of modern, modernism's origination myth. Right? He says it's not real anymore. I don't believe it. I used to believe it. The more I studied, I see it's not true. He said, well, these people are just from America. right? The rest of the world believes it. There are people on this list from Russia... The Czech Republic, Hungary, India, Ukraine, Israel, Brazil, Hong Kong, England, Japan, Spain, Canada, on and on the list goes. These are not lightweights. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to understand. To be fair. Now, I don't ever want to stand up here and, and, and lead you in an area and set up a straw man argument. To be fair. There are lots and lots of scientists that still support evolution. That's true. We need to be fair. But there is a growing number of scientists who believe that evolution is simply a theory that it's made up, that it's wrong. And so students, young adults, whoever you are in the world, you don't need to stand in the world and believe that your view of creation is this silly myth that nobody else believes. That's not true. There are lots and lots of people that believe it. You say, okay, fair enough. So there's statistics to say that, that a lot of America doesn't believe in secular evolution. You can go to the, do the research yourself. There's a lot of research to show that there are scientists who are well-trained, well-known, very intelligent people that studied biology or studied evolutionary science that also don't believe it. But you may ask yourself the question, why are there so many scientists and why is this number growing that don't believe evolution? What's their reason for not supporting this theory? Well, I'm going to give you a couple different things this morning. I want you to think through with me. Write these down, think through and we're going to discuss them. Here's by far the largest reason that a lot of these scientists are questioning evolution. Number one, we've got it for you on the screen. There's a lack of transitional fossils. Now, we're getting into some science here, so stay with me, okay? But I just feel like we need to think through this because we're being attacked here. The Word of God is under attack. Creation is under attack. And so let's examine some truth. There is a great lack of of transitional fossils. And let's think for for just a second about how this works and what this looks like. There's a fossil record of all sorts of different animals that we can go see. Now we've been told, just to use an example of of evolution, we've been told that humans over the course of millions of years evolved from some sort of an ape-like creature. That's kind of the prevailing theory. And so the logic would say that, okay, if, if humans exist now... And several millions ago, years ago, they didn't. They were in ape form. There should be some sort of a transition between those two, right? I mean, there was a gradual process of an ape turning into a human over the course of millions and millions of years. There should be transitional fossils. We should see what scientists call intermediate stages, right? There's something that's kind of a half of an ape, and he's half of a human. We should find all sorts of transitional fossils. Here's the problem Scientists aren't finding these fossils that they think they need to discover. They can't find them. Somebody's saying, wait a minute, wait Now, I read last week or I read last month that somebody had discovered a missing link. You hear that, right? They discovered a missing link. It was, it was half of an ape and it was half a human. It lived a couple million years ago. And so they, they claimed that this was the missing link. Here's what you need to do when you read about these missing links. And again, I can't get into this. You're just going to have to trust me. And you, you do the research yourself. Here's what you're going to find about these missing links. You're going to find one of two things. The first thing you're going to find, more than not, is that these quote-unquote missing links are highly debatable in science. There are lots of scientists that say, you know what, this really isn't a missing link, this is just a chimpanzee. Or this isn't a missing link, this is just a human. And the problem is we're not finding full skeletons now, we're finding just pieces, we'll find a jawbone, Or we'll find an ankle bone, we'll find a wrist bone. And from that, they're building this case that this is some sort of an evolutionary missing link. So there's great debate about whether these are quote-unquote missing links. Here's the second, maybe more interesting thing you're going to find when you delve into these so-called missing links, these transitional forms. history you're going to find. There are lots of them that are actually just fake. They were, they were made up. One of the greatest examples is Piltdown Man. We have a list here on the screen. If you're taking notes, you need to write these three down. These are some of the more famous. Piltdown Man. Piltdown Man was discovered in the early 1900s. Here's what the quote in the article said about Piltdown Man when he was discovered. British paleontologists came to accept the idea that the fossil remains belonged, now watch this, to a single creature who had a human cranium and an ape's jaw. That's interesting. That's what you would expect to find, a missing link, a combination. Offering, here's the quote, the missing link. Between apes and humans in the evolutionary chain. Here's the only problem with that finding. It was a total fake. They faked it. They later found out that it was an ape's jaw and they had literally taken a dog's tooth, a dog's tooth and filed it down and put it in the jaw. That's the way they It's fake. You can read about it. Go read it. Go do the research yourself. Nebraska man is the same example. Lucy is the same example. All these are quote-unquote missing links. It's so interesting to me that every time you read these articles, they use the phrase missing link. Why do you think they use the phrase missing link? Anybody want to guess? It's still missing. It's, still missing. <laughs> it's not the found link. It's the missing link. Right? We don't know where these things are. We're looking... You say, no, wait a minute, Adam. I've read about, these, I've read about transitional fossils, and I've, I've done some research, right? And, and there's no real credible scientist that's actually saying to us, we can't find missing links. There's no credible scientist that says we can't find this evidence. Well, let me give you a couple of credible scientists you may want to listen to. The first one is Charles Darwin. He wrote the book, Origin of the Species. This is where a lot of this began, right? And so I went and found the book online. You can get the book online because I wanted to read it myself. I didn't want to read somebody's quote of Charles Darwin. I wanted to read his actual word, and so we've got the quote. We've got several of his quotes from Origin of the Species. I want you to listen to what he says now. This is Charles Darwin in his own words. The number of intermediate varieties, that's transitional forms, which have formerly existed on the Earth, must be truly enormous. So here's here's his theory: if everything evolved, which we think it did then there should be a large number of transitional fossils. It must be truly enormous. Now, here's this question. It's interesting. Charles Darwin. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate leaks? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps, watch this, is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. Isn't it interesting he uses the word theory there? Now, here's what Darwin is saying. He's saying we need to be able to find in the fossil record transitional forms. If my theory is correct, then we should find all these fossils of these transitional forms, half of one thing, half another. He fully recognizes that they're not finding them. And he's saying that the problem is a grave concern, right? We need to be concerned about this. If my theory is true, we should find these. Now, what he goes on to argue is interesting in his book is this. He goes on to argue that, well, I guess the fossil record isn't complete yet. And so let's give it some more time. Let's keep digging. And we hope at some point we'll begin to find more and more of these transitional forms. Here's the problem. If you fast forward into today's world, we still haven't found the forms. You say, well, give me some proof we still haven't found them. Today. Well, I was on pbs.org just a few weeks ago just reading, doing some research. Now, PBS is not exactly a defender of the faith, right? Am I right? We've got a quote from pbs.org. There should be a fossilized record of small incremental changes on the way to a new species, right? We should see transitional forms. But in many cases, scientists have been unable to find most of these intermediate forms. Darwin himself was shaken by their absence, right? We're not finding what we thought we'd find. Again, the transitional forms that have been found are highly debatable. You should do the research. So PBS.org recent studies are saying we're still not quite sure where all these transitional forms are coming from. Now you remember last week we read an article or a quote from Stephen Jay Gould who's a very well-known atheist, very well-known evolutionary scientist. He was at the American Museum of Natural History, got his Ph.D. from Harvard, did work there, taught there, paleontologist, evolutionary biologist. Listen to his quote. Bring his quote up if you would for me, please. He said, the absence of fossil evidence for intermediated stages has been a persistent and nagging problem for a gradualistic account of evolution. Now, we're seeing these people that are well-respected saying to us, if we can't find the transitional fossils, if we can't find these intermediate fossils, if we can't find these missing links, there's a problem. Students, are you with me? Questions? Any questions? Seriously, right now. This is a big deal. If you want to ask it, ask it. I know I don't do this and I want to plan on doing it, but if you want to ask me something, ask me. Write it down then, okay? Because you need to know this. There's truth in God's Word. You need to stand on that truth and you can prove it so we got all these all these scientists that say this is a problem this is an issue charles darwin said it gould said it many sign there are so many other quotes i don't have time to get into all these today so here's the question right you're going to appreciate and enjoy this i did here's the problem right we can't find the evidence we think we need to find We can't find these transitional fossils. Darwin said it was a problem. We see scientists all up until this point. Gould says it's a problem. We can't find these transitional forms. What do we need to do? Anybody want to guess? We're going to change the theory. We're going to say evolution didn't actually occur as we thought it had, right? It didn't take millions of years. Enter, we've got it on the screen, punctuated equilibrium. You should write it down. If you're taking notes, write it down. Write it down. Come on, I feel like I'm back in school now. This is cool. I got to tell you, the right thing got homework. I'm gonna test you on the next week. Punctuated equilibrium. Here's the definition of punctuated equilibrium, right off the right off of Wikipedia, which is a godly source, right? Always strong in the faith. <laughs> most species will exhibit little net evolutionary change for most of their geological, geological history. That's not what you're being told right now, is it? It's not that most. Most evolutionary changes are not taking place in, in the long history, right? They're not exhibiting any sort of change over long geolo- ge- geological history. Since they are instead remaining in an extended state called stasis. So what we're seeing now, what they believe is happening, is that these life forms are staying the same, they're saying. They're not really changing. When, now watch this. When significant evolutionary change occurs... The theory proposes that it's generally restricted to rare and, here's the word, rapid events. That's the theory. We can't prove that it took millions of years because there's no transitional forms. So because we can't prove it took millions of years, we're going to change the theory and we're going to say that, yeah, they lived for millions of years and nothing happened and boom, just all of a sudden everything changed and they developed into a new organism. That's the new model. The problem is there's no physical evidence in the fossil record, to prove that. I just think it's fascinating when they come to this conclusion that we can't prove this theory that we've been saying is fact for all these years. We can't prove this theory we've been teaching you as if it's absolute truth, so we're going to change the theory. I'm just curious how long it's going to take for that to get in the textbooks. Have any of you read about punctuated equilibrium? Any students? Have you heard about it? Steve, you've heard about it? It's kind of new. You've heard about it? When I went to school, that wasn't there, was it? Right? Amen? We didn't hear about that. Now, it's okay for science to change. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord for science. And please don't, don't hear me stand up here saying I'm preaching against science. I think science is fantastic and we need it. But science is changing. In fact, I want to make a bold, bold prediction. You can write it down and you can hold me to it. Here's the prediction. If the world's still, still here in 500 years... All right, you can hold me to this in 500 years, okay? If the world is still here... In 500 years, if the Lord hadn't come back, I predict that the scientific views about the origins of the earth will be vastly different from what they are now. They're going to be different. You know why I can say that with a lot of certainty? Because they were different 150 years ago. They were different 200 years before that. They were different 400 years before that. They're even different now. I've got something interesting I want you to think through. And again, students, this is just to kind of give you a little ammunition and to kind of help you understand... What's going on? I'm not sure. I don't think I have these on the screen, but I'm going to read for you four very interesting, different ideas that are popular in today's scientific community. Number one, the universe is expanding. You should Google these. I did this. I tested it. Google, the universe is expanding. The first article that popped up is CNN 2014. It says the universe is expanding. There's this whole long article on it. Now, after you've done that, open a brand new browser and Google, the universe is shrinking. There's an article in Nature magazine from 2014, 2013. Cosmologists claim the universe may not be expanding. That's what they're saying, right? So I can read one article that says it's expanding, one said it's not expanding, right? Okay, then you need to Google the universe is dying. You find an article that says the universe is fading away, say astronomers. That's interesting. The universe is dying, it's not gonna last forever. Then when you're finished, open a new browser and Google the universe will live forever. There's an article. The university excuse me, the universe might last forever, astronomers say it's in New York Times, 2002. Now, I'm, I'm saying this simply to help you understand that science is going to change. There are different opinions, and that's OK, there's nothing wrong with that. But we cannot just stay with me here. We cannot reject the truth of God's word because of some new scientific theory. If scientists are rejecting the Word of God, we need to reject those scientists. So we see that the, the lack of transitional forms, the idea of punctuated equilibrium, all those are important. And again, we're just this is 30,000 foot view. You need to go back and listen to this sermon if you want to and do the research yourself. But here's the second reason that a lot of these scientists are questioning the truth of evolution. Number two, evidence of design is found throughout creation. There's all sorts of evidence. Things in this world are too complex to have been to have been. To have evolved from nothing. Now here's, here's the analogy. I'm going to take kind of an old analogy and I'm going to put it in a new format. How many of you students have a smartphone? Come on, raise your hands. These old people can't see you from that far away. There you go. Great, all of them. Any, anybody? Else? Hey, how many have you have smartphone? Raise your hands. Smartphones? Almost everybody? Okay, here's the analogy. You ready for this? Stay with me. There it is. Beautiful. That's a four, so that's like lame if you've still got that one, right? <laughs> you are way behind, but I'm going to use an example anyway, okay? So, iPhone 4, imagine I took it to a guy who understands phones, and I said to him, I want you to take this whole phone apart. And I don't mean just take the, the, the battery out or the, the screen off. I mean every single component. Take every little screw out. Take the battery out. Take the screen. Every little component that can be removed, take it apart until it's in all these pieces, and then put it in a bowl. That's what I want you to do. So you have your iPhone now. It's just disassembled into however many pieces it would take to disassemble it, right? Right? So here's the question, right? I want you to give me the feedback here. I want you to answer this. How long is it going to take for that iPhone to reform into that form right there by itself alone? How, many, how long? If you came back the next day, would you have your iPhone? To, could you call some? Next week? Give me a week. Two weeks? A month? Anybody want to go a month? A year? No? Okay, let's, just, let's play a fun game for just a let Let's pretend I can build this, this impregnable vault somewhere under the earth. And I place that bowl and the iPhone in it, and I bury it. And 10 million years later, if anybody's around, if the earth exists, I don't believe it will, but just assuming it does. In 10 million years, will they unearth that thing and they'll have a working iPhone? Look what happened. I mean, given enough time, given enough time, this thing molded and shaped itself and formed back into the iPhone. We're, We're laughing. All of us are laughing. Why? Because it will not happen. We know it won't happen, but follow the logic. Here's the progression. Our bodies are millions of times more complex than that iPhone, right? And yet we're told by no thing in the universe other than chance and happenstance, we evolved into what we are now. Now sitting here just thinking about it, it sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous, and yet that's what we're being told. That's what people are sharing with us as if it's absolute truth. One of the areas that we see design... One of the areas that we see order is in the human cell. I want to read to you from Stephen C. Meyer. He's the director of the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. He received a PhD from Cambridge. That's a big deal. You guys may never heard of Cambridge, but that's a big deal. Here's what he said about the cells. And one of the things that Darwin didn't understand was cellular biology. They had not delved into the cell, the cell world and the realm and how it works and the, the intricacy of the cell. But I want you to listen to this comment from this PhD. Over the last 25 years, we have this... On the screen for you. Scientists have discovered an exquisite world of nanotechnology within living cells. We're discovering things we never knew existed. Inside these tiny labyrinth enclosures, scientists have found functioning, listen, turbines, miniature pumps, sliding clamps, complex circuits, rotary engines and machines for copying, reading and editing digital information. Go to the next slide. These engines look as if they were designed by the Mazda Corporation with many distinct mechanical parts, all made of proteins, including rotors, O-rings, bushings, U-joints, drive shafts. Go on, we got one more quote. Maybe the most interesting, the, the flagellar motor depends. That's the name of the motor, right? Kind of funny. It depends upon the coordinated function of 30 protein parts. Now follow with me. Yet the absence of any one of these parts results in the complete loss of motor function. Just pause for a second. If you remove one of the 30 pieces, it doesn't work anymore. Doesn't work with 28, doesn't work with 27, doesn't even work with 29, needs all 30. Remove one of the necessary proteins as scientists can do experimentally. And the rotary motor simply doesn't work. The motor is, in Bayes' terminology, irreducibly complex. If you're taking notes, you should write down the idea of irreducibly complex. Leave that slide up for just a second. That's an important idea in understanding the complexity of the universe and the complexity of cells. The idea that things are too complex to just have evolved. The kinesin is an example. K-I-N-E-S-I-N. It's, it's, it's a new research, it's a new discovery scientists have made within the cell. And I, there's a cool video that Kevin McCann sent me. Thank you, Kevin. I don't think he's in the service. But the, the kinesin is a little motor. It's like, a, it's like a, a, a transport system. It pulls stuff along the cells. And it has feet. It literally walks. It's amazing. It literally walks along these little things. And if it's something's too heavy for it to walk, other ones come and help it it's the most amazing thing and, and, and we're saying to ourselves yeah that just, that just kind of happened we see within the created order this idea of design think about your eyeball if you remove any part of your eye your eye won't function and yet we're told that over millions of years this just evolved to the point that some poor creature for hundreds of millions of years had this glob of flesh that didn't do anything until all of a sudden all the parts functioned together and the eyeball evolved I think it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation. I want to finish up. I know I'm I'm winding down, but I want to finish up. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal at the end of last year. This is December 2014. Here's the name of the article. Science increasingly makes the case for God. By the way, the Wall Street Journal got all kind of flack for this information. All kind of flack. I want you to listen to the quotes from this article. You should look it up again. If He's talking about how the universe was formed and how the strong and weak nuclear force interact and how that basically holds everything together and, together. and if that force were different, things would not work the way they work. Here's the quote. If the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest fraction, now here it is, even by one part in a hundred quadrillion, you see that? That's one followed by 15 zeros. So one part in 100 quadrillion, if it had been off that tiny, tiny, tiny of amount, then no stars could have ever formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions. And the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happens defines common sense. Defies common sense, sorry. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. There have been all sorts of theoretical physicists that talk about design. There are all sorts of people that claim there is obviously some sort of a plan in creation. I've got one final quote from this article that I think is just kind of the nail in the coffin. The more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. Man, there's there's an old saying that these philosophers are kind of climbing the hill of knowledge. They're kind of climbing the mountain of knowledge. And when they get all the way to the top, they're going to see that the theologians have been there all along. I think that's true. I think we've got truth. I think the world bears out that we have truth. And students, and anybody that struggles with it, you don't need to back down from anybody that tells you there is no God because there is. The Bible says it. The world says it. And you say, why would people choose not to believe? Why would they work so hard to prove there's no God? I think there's a very, very simple reason. If people admit that there's a God... And they realize very quickly they're accountable to that God. And people don't want to do that. I want to finish with Romans chapter 1. We have it on the screen. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although, why this is fascinating, although they knew God, right? The Bible tells us there's no actual atheist. That's, that's an interesting little theological discussion. They knew God in their heart. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, Nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened, although they claimed to be wise. How many people in our world think they're wise? They became fools. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. May God receive glory for his creation. And may we find the strength to defend it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of what you've given us and what you've shown us, Father, and the the clarity of your creation and the beauty of who you are, Father. I pray that we would understand the truth of your word, understand that there is real evidence in the world to, to support what we read. Give us the strength and the courage to stand firm in our faith, even against the onslaught of, as the words in Scripture call them, fools. People who think they're wise, but they're foolish, Lord. But I pray right now specifically for those people, Lord, because I know we have those conversations. I know these students are going to have these conversations. Allow our students, as they have these conversations, to season that conversation with grace and with love. And so through the whole process, Lord, in that discussion and in that debate and whatever may come from these sermon series, that your name would be known. We love you and we serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a chance for the next few minutes if you will come pray at the altar. Maybe you want to pray about somebody that's struggling with this. Students, adults, maybe you know somebody that's really struggling with this is an issue for them and they're not quite able to get past it. Maybe you want to pray for that person. Maybe you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join this church. But this is your time as we sing, you come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.